doing a series called Vital Signs of Finding a Balance in a World of Extremes. Because one of the things I've been saying every week is I've, I've discovered that the longer I've lived that, that our hope and our focus doesn't come from zeroing in on just one reality, but usually it, we find balance in life as we're able to hold multiple realities in tension and multiple truths in tension and find the find the sweet spot between those things. And today, we're going to look at the dynamics of freedom and truth and how if we hold those together, we can experience both of those in their, at their highest level. Jesus said famously, you might have heard this before, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then they answer him, we're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been slaves of anyone. How then can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you very truly, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. But if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So I want to talk about these two dynamics, freedom and truth, and how they work together. Freedom, on the one hand, is this idea that we should have self-determination and the, the ability to do what we want to do. Truth, on the other hand, is the reality that there are, there, there are dynamics that are outside of us sometimes that keep us from doing what we want to do in any given situation. Dynamics that we have to work around and accommodate our lives to. Uh, and you know, sometimes those those values and those dynamics seem to be contradictory in our experience. But Jesus pulls them together. He says that through Him, if you know the truth, the truth can make you free. And so let's talk about freedom, then we'll talk about truth, and we'll talk about how you might be able to put these things together. You know, freedom is a great modern ideal. It's a great American ideal, but it's actually a great classical ideal as well. I think of the founding of, and the establishment of, of America, and you know, I'm always inspired whenever I see a, a New Hampshire license plate because it has that statement by Patrick Henry, live free or die, or as he put it, give me liberty or give me death. And uh, you know, it was one of the things that drove the American Revolution, one of the things that made, that made and makes America the country that it is today, the ideal of freedom. You know. In the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life and liberty. And liberty is one of the key things, you know, the great thing about living in Jersey City is, is uh, sometimes on a clear day, depending on where you are, you can see the Statue of Liberty. And you can see the Freedom Tower because these are the ideals that make our country the place that it is. This great theme of the great movements in American history have been built around the idea of liberty and the idea of equality. You know, the civil rights movement and the work of Martin Luther King was all about giving people the ability to enjoy and to live in liberty. But it's not unique to America. It's a, it's a great classical idea. In fact, the founders of America really were influenced by the scriptures. 
and the scriptural ideal of freedom. And uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, puts it this way, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. An old book of Galatians talks about how the reason Christ came was to, was to enable us to live in true liberty. And really, the meta-narrative of the whole Bible, the, the story of the Bible which keeps repeating itself and developing itself, is the story that's found in Exodus, how, how the people were slaves in Egypt, and then Moses, the first Moses came and, uh, and led them out of slavery, and then into the wilderness, and then in that struggle toward the promised land. And that's a, a story that kind of repeats itself over and over again in the Bible, and it, it comes to its culmination in the very last chapters of the Bible, where we've arrived at the final and ultimate promised land, which is the new heavens, the new earth, where righteousness dwells. And so the, the whole story of the Bible is the story of a struggle of humanity to find and to attain to and to experience ultimate, ultimate freedom. In Exodus chapter 6, God gives Moses his message, and it's that it's, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of slavery. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. And so the modern ideal of freedom, the American ideal of freedom, actually goes back to the biblical ideal of freedom. And as Jesus says in the passage we just looked at, he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you ultimately and so, so there's that, 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 that ideal that's a big part of what it means to be human, a, a big part of the human struggle, that struggle towards freedom. But then on the other side of it, there's the reality of truth and the importance of truth. And you know, we recognize in a lot of ways in, in American society that these go together. That's why we have freedom of speech, freedom of, of the press. It's because we recognize that that we need to have truth bubble to the surface. We need to have truth be brought to light for freedom to thrive in, in our nation. And even for society to work, truth has to be recognized and truth has to be attained. Think of the importance of a truthful financial statement or telling the truth when you do your taxes. Everything is based on the idea that people are telling the truth, you know, in our legal system, the importance of people testifying under the under oath and telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so, our whole civil society is based on the idea and the hope and and the importance of people uncovering the truth and living in light of the truth. And but it's not just that; it's also even the progress we're making as human beings, the progress that we all benefit from as, as people in our world today. Uh, you know, you think of the scientific truths and the engineering truths and the biological truths that make the world, make life as we know it possible. And all of us are beneficiaries of the discoveries of, of science, of scientists, of the designs of engineers and how those they make our cell phones we work, make our planes fly and, and develop cures for the various diseases that, that afflict us. So all of these discoveries of reality, these discoveries of truth are what make what make our life the way it is. But there's one place, you know, it's interesting, there's one place 
in the world and in, in modern society where we don't really think truth is that important or even that attainable. And that is in our understanding of God and how we know God and what God wants of us, right? Because there we say, well, whatever works for you is what works. And whatever whatever makes sense to you, that's what that's what makes sense. And, it, and you know, people one of the popular analogies is, you know, finding God and knowing God is like climbing up a mountain. There's not just one way up a mountain. There's there's a lot of ways to just find the way that you like and go up that way. But you know, it strikes me when I hear people say this is they've never actually tried to climb a mountain. So one of the things that happens if you're climbing a mountain is, you know, you, you make a wrong turn, things can go really bad. And, uh, and you might never meet, reach to the top of the mountain. In fact, you might never go home again, depending on how things go. Because, because uh, you know, there's a specific way to get to the top of the mountain. And if it goes the wrong way, it's not going to work. Or, or another popular thing, I'm not sure where this, where this originated, but someone has said that, that uh, when, when we humans try to describe God, it's like blind men <laughs> trying to describe an elephant. Have you heard that before? It's kind of a common analogy. Someone thinks something said it once, but, but now it's mine. Um, but but you know the idea is well one one blind man grabs the tail of the elephant and says well the elephant is like a like a little whip that you can keep it divided around another person blind person bumps into the elephant's leg and says well an elephant's obviously like a tree that that's just a a, a big round pillar that that you bump into another person grabs the trunk of the elephant and uh, you know gets shot with water in the face and says well this elephant is like a garden hose. But, and, and so people say, well, that, that's kind of like what we're like, like we describe God, because you know, we're all seeing part of the truth of God, but nobody sees the, the whole truth of God. And, you know, but what that, what that analogy neglects is the fact that there's actually an elephant there, and if someone opens their eyes, they can see the whole elephant. And, uh, and, and so we, we content ourselves sometimes with partial and speculative ideas about God, but what, what the Bible says is the truth of God is available to us. And, and to say, you know, the modern ideal is to say, well, you have your view of God, and I have my view of God, and, and it's, it's okay. Whatever works for you is what works for you. But, but, but if you think about that for a moment, when you say that about God, you're making a sweeping metaphysical claim about who God is. He's whatever you want him to be, which is one way of looking at, at, at God, one comprehensive way of defining God that excludes all others. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what the Bible says is the truth about God, the truth that we need to know about God can be known because he has revealed himself, and that's what the scriptures show Show us, and that's what the scriptures reveal to us. You know, we recognize the importance of truth in the medical diagnosis. We recognize the importance of truth in a financial statement. We recognize the importance of, of truth when you're designing an airplane. But we ought also to recognize the importance of truth when we're figuring out what is the purpose of life, what is the meaning of life, and where do we go with this life, and where do we go after this life is over. Because all truth is important. So the Bible talks about the importance of truth. It talks about the importance of freedom. But, but it also recognizes, and I think life 
shows us that there's a problem with truth. You know, truth can be difficult, or as somebody once said to me, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. Have you ever had to deal with a truth that hurts in your life? There's truths in our lives that we don't want to see. Have you ever gotten a letter and you recognize the return address and said, you know, I'm not going to open this letter right now because I just can't deal with it. And then about 30 days later, later, you get another letter from the same address and you say, you know, I don't think anything's improved, so I'll put this letter with that other one. And things just kind of get, get worse and worse and worse. Because if we don't, you know, sometimes we don't want to deal with the truth, but that doesn't make the problem or the reality go away. In fact, usually that's what makes the problems bad. Sometimes the truth is insulting to us. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's just unbearable. The truth is unbearable to us, and we just can't handle the truth such as it is, so we prefer to live in some sort of fantasy for a time. But the reality is, no matter how harsh the truth is, no matter how painful the truth in our life might be, the only way to recovery, really the only way to freedom in our life, is if we can face the truth and deal with it on its own terms. Because as long as we deny the truth, the reality continues to control us. The only way to be set free is to face the truth, to confront the truth, and then come up with a plan to deal with those difficult truths. And, and you know, really, a lot of what happens when you go, if you go for therapy to a psych- psychiatrist or psychologist or someone, in, in that in that field, a lot of what they're trying to do is help you figure out what the truth is that you're refusing to face. What what's the truth that's making you so angry, or making you so anxious, or making you so depressed, and making life so hard to deal with? Because until you can figure out what that truth is that you're suppressing, what that truth is that you're ignoring, you're going to continue to be anxious. You're going to continue to be angry. You're going to continue to be depressed. But once you can bring that truth to the surface then you can deal with that truth and can come up with a solution to the problem that it is. So, so if the problem with truth is that truth hurts, and then the problem or challenge with freedom, and the challenge of freedom is that freedom is complicated. It's hard for us to come to an agreement with what freedom really is. You know, the, the initial idea of freedom or concept of freedom is this idea of autonomy, which is I can just do whatever I want. But that breaks down really quickly because we want to do all kinds of self-destructive things. And, you know, if we just do what we want, eventually we'll end up in jail and uh, and all that freedom will be gone. You know, we recognize that in life sometimes we, in order to get what we want or to become what we want, we have to do what we don't want to do. It was Bill Parcells who said that his job as a coach, a football coach, was to get young men to do what they don't want to do so they can be what they've always wanted to become. And that, that kind of sums up the challenge for all of us. There's things we don't want to do that we have to do in order to get what we really, really want. And and freedom is also achieved. We recognize that, that the greatest exhibitions of human freedom, sometimes in, in the world of art, the world of music, the world of athletics, and areas like that, come from people who are not just physically gifted, but tremendously disciplined. 
because it's the discipline to sit down and learn an instrument and learn about music, the discipline to work really hard to, to, to become accomplished at an athletic discipline that enables you to perform with freedom when the occasion presents itself. You know, I might have the freedom to sit down at a piano and hit the keys, and I can do that freely, but soon people want to turn that piano off or, or push me away because I've got no idea how to make actual music when I do that because I don't have that discipline. But, but that, that kind of freedom that we admire, that we watch, that we seek out, of, of the tremendously skilled and talented people is a freedom that is the fruit of strict and focused discipline, doing what we don't want to do so that we can become what we've always wanted to become. Freedom's also a function of design. You think, I think one of the, the symbols of freedom in modern life is a symbol of a dolphin. You know, you see these pictures of dolphins in the ocean swimming and they kind of play with each other and race each other and jump out of the water and they seem to be having a lot of fun. But the reason the dolphin can do that is because it's in the ocean. If we brought a dolphin into this room, it would suddenly become very unfree because, because being, you know, a dolphin is only free when it's in the water. And all of us are designed in a certain way, we're designed for certain things, and we experience freedom when we're living and working and operating according to the design that God has given us. And, you know, and the shorthand for that design is in the Ten Commandments. You know, someone has referred to the Ten Commandments as the law of perfect freedom. God gives us his law, he gives us his, you know, the Bible is like the designer's manual for human life. And he gives us those, those, those guidelines in the law so that if we follow them, we'll know we'll be living according to the way that God designed us to be. We structure our society according to those rules. We'll have a society that's functioning according to the way God has designed it to, to function. Psalm 119.32 puts it this way, I run in the path of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. You see the paradox there? If you stay on the path and you stay off along according to the commands, that's where you experience true freedom. God doesn't give, just like as a parent, you know, you don't give your kids rules just because you want to keep them from enjoying life. God doesn't give us his rules just because he wants to restrain us from, from enjoying life. He gives us his guidelines. He gives us his law to show us the path to true freedom. So, so that's the, the, uh, the dynamic of freedom. But the other complexity of freedom is that often we have competing wants. We want multiple things at the same time. We want to sleep in and to train for the New York Marathon. Like, what, what, what do I want more this morning? You know, you want to get healthy and eat extra chocolate cake. And it's like, what, what do I really want? Or you know you want to get through school, you want to progress through, you know, graduate from college, and you want to stay up all night playing video games. You know, it, all of us have the, these tensions and, and these places where we where we have to choose between two different goods that we want, two different ideals that we want, two things we're free to do, but which one is? But we're not free to do both of them at the same time. And so, oftentimes. 
we find ourselves in the midst of, of uh, living life caught between these, these competing ideals of what true freedom is going to be. And that's the problem with being human, is we're so limited that we've got to choose. And sometimes to embrace one's freedom is to sacrifice another one. And that, and that's the challenge. And I think the place where this all comes together for us, freedom and truth, and, and where this challenge comes together is the challenge of, of falling in love. But on the one hand, one of the great ideals of the Romantic era is this idea that we should be able to love whoever we want to love, right? Romeo and Juliet, you know, was a protest against this idea that certain families couldn't marry other families or certain you know, certain people would be excluded or, or denied the ability to fall in love with, with people who weren't from a family that we were all speaking from. And, you know, that, that's a, a challenge that, that extends itself around our world. You know, one of the highest secular freedoms, I think, is the freedom to love who we want to love. One of the highest ideals of our romantic era where we elevate romance to the ultimate level is that we ought to be able to love whoever we feel that we love. But, but the challenge is, as you know, as soon as you fall in love, as soon as you start to pursue love, what do you do? You start closing off other options. Because if you're really in love with someone, as that relationship develops, and you go from, what is it, you go from talking to, my daughter was trying to explain to me, you go from just talking <laughs> to, uh, to, to uh, just, just uh, sort of just kind of seeing each other, to uh, patiently dating, to seriously dating, to a committed relationship. You know, what, what, is, what is that process to engagement, to marriage? You're, you're all along the way, you're, you're cutting off your options, right? You're limiting your freedoms. You're saying, I'm going to exclude other opportunities. I'm going to give up my freedoms in other areas so that I can so that I can commit myself to love in this area. And, and deeper love is, the part of deeper love is a deeper and more solid commitment to someone, right? That, that's of the essence of it. And now the, the, the most uh, profound example of this dynamic, which uh, some of you have gone through, is when you have a child, right? Because once you have a child, on one hand, you recognize that now I, I love someone more than I ever thought I could love them. I, I could love someone. And then on the other hand, side, you see, I'm a slave for life. <laughs> I'm never going to be let out of this deal. And, and, that's, and that, that's the challenge of love, right? But on one hand, you, you feel that love. But on the other hand, you realize that, that, that love is a commitment and it is even a bond that, that is going to to limit your freedoms and limit your opportunities and limit your ability to do certain things for basically forever. So, so, so that's the paradox. On, on one hand, the height of freedom, the most, the, the most essential aspect of freedom is the freedom to love who you want to love, but as soon as you are willing to commit yourself to love, as soon as you're able to commit yourself to love, what happens is you start to give up your freedom. Now, the dynamic with that, though, I'm going to say the only way that works, the only way that ever works, is when there's a mutual commitment where two people decide that they love one another. The worst place to be in life, the most unhappy place to be in life for any human being, is when you love somebody who doesn't love you. When you're 
in a relationship or trying trying to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't reciprocate those feelings. And when when the love is a one-way street, right? Because that that you know there, there's nothing worse than the problem of unrequited love. Because to fall in love on one level, it's to risk being exploited, right? It's to put yourself in a to a vulnerable position where you might be taken advantage of, where 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 you might be used and abused, where you might you might make yourself vulnerable and that vulnerability might be used against you. Uh, but that's how love works, to open yourself up to somebody who you discover is safe and who you trust and who you can commit yourself to. And that brings us back to the story of Jesus. Because Jesus, the reason he's the greatest example, the greatest model of love for all of us is because Jesus lived in perfect freedom. He was God himself, but because he loved us, he became one of us. Because he loved us, Philippians 2 said, he bound himself and became a slave. Because he loved us, he became a servant. Because, because he loved us, though he was free, he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Jesus surrendered his freedom, surrendered his autonomy, and bound himself to us. The story of that's what the story of the gospel is all about. He became one of us at the first Christmas when he lived and walked on this earth, when he allowed himself to suffer and to die in our place. It was all about him sacrificing his freedom so that we could experience a new truth and so that we could be brought into a relationship with him. And so freedom and love in the Christian message is is intimately tied to the truth of the Christian message, the person and the work of Jesus. This isn't an abstract ideal. It's about the commitment of the Son of God to us. And Jesus binds himself to us in order to set us free. His commitment to us binds us to him. And even though he was truly free, he sacrificed his freedom so that we could find true freedom by being bound him. And that's the iron, that's the picture of what the Christian truth is all about and how it is through knowing his truth that we can be set free. And the freedom that Christ offers us is the freedom of those who have been called to be servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, puts it this way, for the love of Christ constrains us because thus we judge that one died for all, and therefore all die. His love bound him to us, that we might be free to love him and find ourselves in him and find ultimate freedom there. And he invites all of us, regardless of where we're at in life, regardless of where we're at in our relationship, regardless of what our personal circumstance is, to find the ultimate love Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. I thank you that he was willing to lay aside his freedom in order to set us free. And he was willing to bind ourselves himself in love for us, that we might find true freedom by being bound in. 
make that real to each of us, Father. And I know in this room there's a lot of people in different circumstances, a lot of people facing different kinds of slavery and different kinds of bondages, but set us free by the truth of Jesus' love that we might be free to live in a certain way.